Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you who are um, also called by Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because the news of your faith has been reported in all the world. God is my witness, whom I serve with the Spirit in telling the good news about his Son, that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers, that if it's somehow in God's will, I may now at least succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now, in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as is written, the righteous will live by faith. Thanks so much, Christelle. Hi, everyone. Great to see you all here tonight. I add my welcome to uh, James's. It's fantastic to uh, see you here as we launch this new series in the book of Romans. Uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer and ask for God's help as we turn to this uh, part of his word. Lord, thanks that you've brought us here tonight, each one of us. Thank you that you are sovereign. Thanks for the way that you uh, went before Peter into that house of Cornelius and his family and uh, that you saved that family. Thank you that your word is powerful. We ask that you would work powerfully among us in this building tonight so that we might know you and trust your son, Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, tonight we're starting this new series from the book of Romans. Uh, We've just read the introduction to it, the introduction to a great letter. In fact, I would argue perhaps the greatest letter that's ever been written because of the impact that it's had Uh, on the world, especially the Western world. Uh, Here's what some famous people have said about this book that we've just opened up tonight. Here's one guy, Martin Luther. This guy was kind of the the trigger for the, the Reformation in Europe that changed history. He opened up the book of Romans and it changed his life. And he says this, It's worthy that every Christian should know it word for word by heart. You want to have a memory verse this year? Luther's saying, have a memory book. It's only 16 chapters, you know. Uh, You can learn it by heart. But also that he should occupy himself with it every day 
as the daily bread for the soul. He had a high view of this book of Romans. Well, here's uh, what uh, a contemporary of his said, John Calvin. Uh, He has got a better beard than uh, Luther. Uh, If we've gained a true understanding of this epistle, an epistle is a fancy word for a letter, uh, we have an open door to all the most profound treasures of Scripture. As we look at this book, if you just read it shallow in a shallow way and don't care too much about it, you probably won't find much treasure. But if you dig deep and wrestle with what this is saying, it will unlock the most profound treasures of Scripture. Last one from someone much more recent, last century. This fellow's name is F.F. Bruce. Uh, He says, There's no saying what may happen when people begin to study the letter to the Romans. So let those who have read thus far be prepared for the consequences of reading farther. You have been warned. This book can turn your life upside down. I think uh, many of you have probably heard Cameron Hislop's uh, testimony of how God brought him to be a Christian. And uh, I seem to remember him saying that it was actually reading through the book of Romans for himself. Can't see him here tonight. He's not... uh... Are you here, Cameron? Sorry to point him out that he's not here. (laughs) I hope I don't get in trouble for that. But uh, he read the book of Romans. And uh, from that, God brought him from a family that wasn't following Jesus, to be a Christian and into ministry, and he's here today. Well, he he should be here today, but he's not here right now. He's somewhere else important, I'm sure. So, this is the book of the Bible that we've opened today, the letter to the Romans. And I hope these grand statements actually whet your appetite uh, to really get into this book. Uh, And uh, it is a great book. But to get started, I want to just say, two things about this book. First thing to know as we read it is to remember that it is a letter. When we get into next week, we're going to see that there's a lot of kind of theological argument that goes from the second half of chapter 1 right through to chapter 15. And, uh, but in the beginning and the end, we're reminded that this is a letter. The Apostle Paul, we see in the very first verse, he is writing the letter. He is an apostle Uh, of uh, a servant of Jesus called as an apostle. An apostle is someone who's been appointed and sent to speak on behalf of Jesus. That's who he is. And he's writing to the church in Rome, the capital city of the Roman Empire, uh, the the very centre of the, the ancient world of this time. And he's writing to a church that has gathered there. And from verse Uh, 7 down to verse 15, it gets very personal. He says, even though Paul's never been there, he says, I've been praying for you. He says, I I wish I could come and see you. I really want to. I'm planning to come. I haven't been able to till now, but I'm I'm planning to come. Rest assured, I want to come and be encouraged by you, and I want to encourage you. I want to preach the gospel to you, as well as everybody else that I have in the world. And uh, and that's what he's, he's saying to them. This is... A letter. So what is it about? Well, it's about the gospel. These days, we tend to think of the gospel as if I said to you, what is the gospel? What answer would you give me? Short answer, someone. The good news? Is that what you were saying? Excellent, Sophie. Thanks for being brave and almost saying it, um, mouthing it. Uh, It is, that's what we would say. It's the good news. And indeed, it is good news. It's wonderful news. But I think that's a bit weak in thinking about what the gospel is. No offence to Sophie, because we all would have said that. 
Uh, I think what it is is the big news, or perhaps even bigger, the momentous news of something that means everything has changed. It's kind of like in the ancient world, they used this word gospel for when there was a new king, a new Caesar had come to power and an announcement went out to the whole empire that there's new king on the throne. Give your allegiance to him. That's the gospel. And that's really good news if uh, you think he's a good fellow, this king, but it's bad news if you happen to be his enemy and you think, "Uh uh-oh, I'm going to get it in the neck. Or maybe uh, the victory, the war has been won. That changes everything, doesn't it? And it's good news if you're on the winning side, but if you're one of the enemies, that means you've lost the war. It's a momentous news that, has, that changes everything. And it's not always good news. It depends how you stand with it. And uh, Paul is, uh, in this uh, letter, he's speaking about the gospel. He explains the gospel. He defends the gospel. He uh, gives assurances about the gospel. He applies the gospel to our lives. He says that he's on about sharing the gospel and he invites people to be involved in that work with him. You see, if you want to know the gospel, God's message for the world, God's momentous message for every man, woman and child in this world, including you and me, then read the book of Romans. If you want to know the gospel, if you want to believe the gospel, if you want to share the gospel, if you want to live out the gospel, if you want to love the gospel, this book is for you. Welcome to the book of Romans. We've uh, entered into something wonderful. We're going to cover chapters 1 to 4 over the next month or so. And then uh, after that, uh, later in the year, we'll do chapters 5 to 8. And then we'll try and get to the rest next year. Uh, That's how we're going to do it. We're going to bite it off in chunks. But tonight, as we come into this introduction, this letter part at the beginning of the book, there are two questions that this passage answers. Uh, What is the gospel? That's a pretty fundamental question if the whole book is about the gospel, isn't it? Uh, And why can we trust the gospel? So that's where we're going tonight. So first, what is the gospel? Well, Paul gets straight onto it in the opening uh, paragraphs, the first six verses of the letter. If you've got a Bible there, have a look at it, or I've put it on the screen for you tonight. If you can uh, follow that and it's not too overwhelming for you to have six verses at once on the screen. Uh, Otherwise, just watch the little box because we're going to see, we're going to whip through six features of the gospel that Paul tells us about just in these opening words. First, its origin is God. That's where the gospel comes from. Paul says he's been set apart for the gospel of God. It comes from God. It's his message. The gospel, uh, therefore, is pretty important, isn't it? It doesn't come from people, from human beings. Uh, And it is uh, not just what the church teaches. It's God's message for you and me, the gospel of God. Second, it was promised beforehand in the Holy Scriptures. That's what we call the Old Testament. That means the gospel wasn't a new thing in the first century AD. It was promised beforehand. It wasn't just a newfangled idea that Jesus invented or that uh, the apostles or other early Christians thought, oh, we want to start a religion. We'll come up with a message that will we'll, uh, we'll win people over. No. For 2,000 years, God had been revealing bit by bit his plan for the world, that Jesus would come. It was promised beforehand. 
Third thing is, it's all about Jesus, God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, And uh, in this world, we read there that Jesus, according to the flesh, was a descendant of David. He was flesh and bone. He was a historical person who was born into our world. He grew up, he walked, he talked. He died on the cross. Uh, But he was also a descendant of David. And that's significant, isn't it? If you know your Old Testament scriptures, you'll know that there was a wonderful promise to David that one of his descendants would rule on God's throne forever. A wonderful, amazing promise. This is what the Jews were looking forward to, their Messiah. We just sang about that, didn't we? The Messiah is a Jewish word meaning the promised king. Or the Greek word is the Christ. So we've got Jesus, the human being, who is also the Christ, a descendant of David. That's who he is in the flesh, in in this human realm. But there's something massively different between any other descendant of David and Jesus, isn't there? When the rest died, they were buried in a tomb and that's where they stayed. But when Jesus was buried in the tomb, what do we see there? That uh, he was appointed to be the powerful son of God. That's a title for this Messiah. According to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. He was dead in the tomb, but God by his spirit raised him up and appointed him to be his eternal king. He is not only Jesus Christ, he's also Lord. He is the one who rules all people for all time. You, me, everyone else. This is what the gospel is about. Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is a great king on the throne ruling the world. Now, please notice that the gospel is not about the church. Sometimes when uh, we talk to our friends, uh, we kind of find it hard to get beyond talking about the church and uh, our friends here and the good things that we do here. It's kind of easy to talk about that, but we seem to balk at talking about Jesus. But we haven't shared the gospel unless we've spoken about Jesus. Nor is the gospel about our spiritual experiences how we are feeling, or the, the things that, uh, that God has done in our life. That's good and a, a, a real thing to share. That's great. But it's not the gospel of God. It's not his message for the world. It's a message about you. We can't take over the place of Jesus, can we, and uh, make ourselves the subject of God's message for the world. Nor is it about morality. The Christian message, God's message, is not pull up your socks, be a good person. Stop doing that thing over there. God's message is, Jesus is your Lord. Bow your knee to him. Trust him. He is the one who died to pay for all of those things. And he is the one that God raised to rule your life. And when you turn to him, he'll forgive you. This is the gospel. The focus is on Jesus. That's the longest of the points we're whipping through. The next one. Uh, the purpose of this gospel. Why does Paul make this message known? Well, he says that it's to bring about the obedience of faith. This is God's plan in the world. He wants people to obey Jesus. He wants people to trust Jesus. That's the meaning of the word faith. It's to trust. It's a strange phrase, isn't it? The obedience of faith. Uh, it, it could mean, and the focus could be on the obedience 
He wants people to live God's way because they trust him. And they trust that Jesus is Lord and so they will obey him. That would make sense. Oh, it could be that faith is the way that we obey God, the obedience of faith. How do you obey God? By trusting him. Or it could be that you can't separate the two. Uh, if you obey God, you'll have faith in Jesus and trust him to pay for your sins. If you trust Jesus as the Lord who's paid for your sins, then you'll obey him. You can't separate the two. You can't have Jesus as saviour. Oh, great, my sins are forgiven. Now I'll just go on living the way that I was. Because he's also the Lord at the same time. And you don't want to have just Jesus as the Lord and kind of obey him like a slave without any sense that he's mercifully forgiven my sins because the motivation won't be there to keep obeying him. They have to go together. It's a beautiful phrase, the obedience of faith. That is what the purpose of the gospel is so that people might come to trust and obey Jesus. And the goal is for the sake of Jesus' name. It's for his honour. You know, right from the beginning, God made the whole world for his son, Jesus. And now he is gathering a people and bringing about the obedience of faith for the honour of his son. God's work in the world is not first and foremost about me and you. It's about Jesus. Can you see that? And lastly, the scope. The scope of the gospel is for all nations. So Paul says in uh, our translation, among all the Gentiles. Back in those times, there were two groups of people in the world. If you saw the world through Jewish eyes, there was the Jews, God's chosen people, uh, his people who kept the laws and what have you in the Old Testament. And then there was everybody else. That's why when they went to Cornelius's house, they had such a lot of trouble going there and uh, sharing their food and thinking that these Gentiles could be Christians because they were so far apart in the Jewish mind. But Paul says, no, now that Jesus has come, God's message is for the Gentiles. It's for all nations. It's for the Jews, yes, but it's also for the Greeks. It's also for anybody in this world. This is a wonderful thing. It's for the Muslim nation. It's for the Hindu nation. It's for the Buddhist nation. It's for the secular Western nation. It's for Eastern nations. It's for all nations. So this is the gospel. Can you see how big it is? Yes, it is very, very good news that there is a king on the throne and we can come to him and find forgiveness for all of our shortcomings and rebellions against God. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But it's not just a personal comfort and crutch for me. This is a message with worldwide implication for every man, woman and child who has ever lived. And it's really important that we get this right, isn't it? Lest we uh, believe some twisted and distorted message, some of the alternatives that are out there that take the focus of Jesus and, and what he has done. And it's really important to get it right so that we can trust it with confidence, uh, so that we can trust and obey Jesus as Lord according to God's plan and have assurance that we really are saved. This is real. It's not just something that uh, we happen to believe because we're in Janali in 2024. This is real for all people for all time. If the gospel is true, can you see that it changes everything? Can you see that it's the most important thing that you can know? 
or that the people around us can know? If you're here tonight and you haven't yet grasped Jesus as the one who died in your place, that God has appointed to rule your life, if you haven't yet come to him and sought his forgiveness and given your life over to him, then this is God's word to you tonight. The great gospel, the momentous news. It's been proclaimed for 2,000 years and you are hearing it tonight through the spirit of God. Don't delay any longer. Turn to Jesus. Receive his mercy and follow him. This is God's plan for you. And for those who already have turned to obey Jesus and trust in him, the gospel is still what we need to hear. Because, you know, you never actually move on from needing to hear the gospel. Have a look down in your Bibles. This is not on the screen. It's on verse 15. Paul is writing to this church in Rome. He knows they're Christians. He's called them that. And he says, uh, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. We might have expected him to say, I'm eager to come to Rome and help you speak the gospel to all the people around you who don't yet know Jesus. I'm sure Paul does want to do that. But that's not what he says. He says, I want to come to you in the church and preach the gospel to you also. Paul sees that the church needs to hear the gospel. And as he goes on, we understand why that is. Because the gospel sorts out all of the kind of misconceptions and uh, doubts and trouble and lack of assurance and problems of Jews and Gentiles not getting on. He says the gospel is the answer. The gospel is what grows and shapes and builds the church as well as what saves people and brings them into it. Sometimes I have people come to me and say, you know, why do we keep talking about Jesus and just these simple basic gospel truths all the time? Uh, Why don't we talk, why don't we kind of, I learned all that in Sunday school. Why don't we move on to something kind of more uh, exciting, something deeper, deep theology maybe, or something more relevant, the social issues of the world. That's what we should be talking about as the church, not the gospel. I want to say, if that's what you're thinking, then I really want to urge you to be here for the rest of this series. Because I think what that tells you is that you don't yet understand properly the gospel. You have too small a view of the gospel. You can't move on from it. If you think you've moved on from it, you've lost touch with it. Because Jesus is Lord, who's died for you, and that changes everything in every aspect of life. That's what affects how we think about the world. That's the, the starting point and, the, and the, the way into, as Calvin said, the treasures of all the great treasures of Scripture. It's not apart from the gospel. It's building on and digging deeper into it. The gospel... Uh, is the wonderful news of God that we, that we need to hear and respond to. So, why can we trust the gospel? That was the second question. If this passage, as we've seen, that this changes everything, and I'm calling on you to base your life on it, and for our church to uh, be built upon it in every way and not leave it behind, why can we trust this gospel that uh, we should do that? Now, this is really the question that Paul's answering through the whole book. But in verses 16 and 17, we get a little summary of what he's going to say in the rest of the book. 
Uh, and uh, so if you want to, rather than learning the whole book, just learn verses 16 and 17 and you won't go too far wrong. And the main thing he says there is this. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. There are all kinds of reasons why Paul might have been ashamed, just like we are. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's something that I have great confidence in. It is so good, so right, so powerful that uh, I, I have got total confidence in it. Now, sometimes we can be ashamed, can't we? We talked about it before. I remember a time uh, many years ago when uh, I was a kind of a, a new assistant minister in a church. Uh, we were trying to uh, start up a chaplaincy work in the University of Western Sydney, Parramatta campus. And uh, the bishop had been negotiating with the vice chancellor of the university about getting a chaplain in there, namely me. And, uh, but he, and there was a big lunch that the university was having for all the people, all the heavy hitters from Western Sydney, the politicians, the business leaders, the academics, the artists and poets, and all anybody who's anybody in Western Sydney was invited to the Rose Hill Gardens for this, uh, this event to kind of kickstart the university. And so was the bishop, but he couldn't go. So he called me up and said, Neil, you've got to go. So there I am, sitting on a table with all these kind of high flyers and uh, little old me, uh, and uh, hey, hey, we were going around the table, oh, who are you, what do you do? And they're all saying these high flute. I'm an author, I've written three books, you know, I, I run a massive company, I do this, and it came around to me, oh, I'm a minister at the church. Well, why are you here? Oh, well, we want to, I want to become the chaplain at the uh, university. Oh, what does a chaplain do? Well, we tell people about Jesus and try and help them to, to follow him and know him. Really? Why do you do that? How did you get into ministry? And all these people are listening and on there. Oh, well, because uh, I believe it's true and I think it's, it's God's message for everybody. And uh, that was the end of the conversation. They just moved on and talked to everybody else and uh, I felt about that big around that table. I did manage on that occasion to say something about Jesus, so I was pretty happy about that. But I did feel ashamed of the gospel because with those elite high flyers of this world, I felt pretty weak and foolish around that table. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why not? Well, he gives three reasons as we wrap up that we can also apply to ourselves. First, it's the power of God for salvation. Salvation there means being saved from God's just, righteous anger for the way that we have treated him and failed to treat him. It's about salvation from condemnation to hell to eternal life. That's what it means to be saved. And uh, Paul says the gospel is the power. That's the change that it can make to your eternal destiny. But not only that, the gospel has power to change our lives in this world. As people hear of Jesus, the King, and the Holy Spirit is at work, so our minds are changed, our hearts are changed, our behaviour, our attitudes, our values, our priorities are all changed. Now, this is something that the Apostle Paul had seen again and again as he went around speaking this message about Jesus, weak and foolish as it might look in the eyes of the world. He saw that again and again and again, person after person, city after city, people responded and became followers of Jesus. The gospel is powerful to change lives. I mean, look at us here. Why are we here? It's only because of the power of the gospel for salvation. 
This is the message that changes lives. Now, I think that sometimes the temptation for us is to think that the gospel's not the power for salvation, but something else. So what could be an example? As we conduct our ministry, we might think that building community is the secret. It's the silver bullet. If we can just build a really good community so people find friends and love being here with one another, then that is the thing that's going to persuade people to be Christians. Or we can think that it's having a, putting on uh, entertainment and good fun things, like this is especially uh, an issue in youth group and kids ministry, isn't it? Run a fantastic program with lots of fun and we'll attract in the crowds and then uh, they'll be with us. Or maybe... Uh, there are other things that, uh, that we can do. Uh, doing good works. Let's get together and, uh, and kind of solve the problems of society and then the world will look at us and think we're great. Hang on a minute, there's something wrong there, isn't there? Who's the glory supposed to go to? It's not us. It's Jesus. See, all of those things are good. It's good to have fun. It's good to build community. It's good to do good. And all of those things in a, trans- a life transformed with the gospel will happen more and more. But that is not the heart of it. That is not where the power is. The power is in the gospel. You can have all the fun in the world, but if the gospel is not clearly communicated, then it's not at all spiritually powerful. Maybe we're ashamed of the gospel because instead of trusting in it, we trust in these other things. That's the challenge, that we don't fall into that temptation. Second thing he says is that it's for everyone who believes. If the first one is about the power, this is about the the goodness of the gospel. See, sometimes people might accuse us of being a bit uh, bigoted. Uh, Maybe we might be ashamed because there are some Christians who give the impression that we're better than others. There are some Christians who look down and even, even hate people and give a very strong signal that they're not welcome. And fair enough, we might be ashamed. But the true gospel is for everyone who believes. doesn't matter who you are. Jesus died for you. He is your Lord. You can turn to him, trust him, and be accepted into God's family forever, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're a high flyer in Western Sydney or a, a struggler, ordinary person in the street, male, female, slave, free, gay man, lesbian woman, transgender person, Whoever you are, Jesus is your Lord who has died for you. You are welcome to come to him. In fact, he came to eat with tax collectors and sinners, didn't he? And and religious people said to him, you shouldn't do that, Jesus. But Jesus said, no, I've come to seek and save the lost. The gospel is for everyone who believes, whoever you are. It is beautiful. It is so good. And this is what actually reconciles people who normally wouldn't hang out together. Enemies in this world, Jews and Gentiles, massive division. But in the church, both come to God in exactly the same way through Jesus Christ, on exactly the same basis through what he's done for them. And so those earthly divisions, over time, as we grasp that gospel and are shaped by that gospel, brings a beautiful unity It's for everyone who believes. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's not exclusive. It's inclusive for everyone who believes. Lastly, 
It reveals the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is a phrase that we're going to unpack over the coming weeks. But basically it means that God does what is right. He always does what is right. He's faithful to his promises. He's just in punishing our sins and in giving his son to die for them. And he's gracious and merciful in forgiving people. Even the worst of sinners can be forgiven. But in all of that, Paul's going to say God is righteous. He declares people like us who are guilty to be righteous like him. He takes our sin and puts them on Jesus. And he takes Jesus' perfection and gives it to us. That's beautiful, isn't it? But some people might say, but is that fair? Uh, Sometimes we can be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel because we listen to the voices of atheists out there or uh, even genuine Christians with hard questions uh, and they write big fat books and they say, God is cruel. How can you believe in a God who sacrifices his own son? That's offensive. Or they might say, God is unjust in condemning people to hell for eternity when they've only rejected him for 70 or 80 years. And you might go, yeah, that's a good question. And you might be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel and keep quiet. Uh, You might hear people say that God is unjust in forgiving evil people. Someone has done some terrible thing. How is it that they can turn to Jesus at the end of their life and be forgiven? That is not fair. And you might be ashamed of the gospel. And you might wonder, how is it that God can be both just and merciful at the same time? And you might be tempted to think it just doesn't stack up. Well, brothers and sisters, friends here tonight, the Apostle Paul says, no, he's not ashamed of the gospel because it reveals the righteousness of God. God is good, faithful, merciful, gracious, kind, compassionate, perfect in all those things, as well as in his justice. And it all comes together in Jesus and his death and resurrection. We'll see that in the coming weeks. But if these are questions that you've got, make sure you keep coming and dig deep into the treasures that are in this book of Romans. The closing bottom line of this whole talk is, and this whole passage is, don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's God's momentous news for the whole world. Promised for 2,000 years before Jesus came. All about him. For the obedience of faith of people everywhere through all time. For the glory of Jesus. For all nations. What a magnificent thing God has done in giving us the gospel. And in the gospel we can know Jesus. God's son, our saviour. Lord, what a wonderful privilege. Never take the gospel for granted and never be ashamed of the gospel. It's his power. It's his goodness. It's his righteousness revealed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel for yourself to become a Christian. Don't be ashamed of the gospel before people around you to uh, admit and confess and rejoice that you are a Christian. Don't be ashamed of the gospel to get involved in the gospel work. You can do it. You must do it. Because the gospel is real and true and wonderfully good. Let me pray. Lord, thanks so much for your gospel. Thank you that Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, 
is now ruling and one day will return to judge and bring about his eternal kingdom to us. Lord, these are momentous truths. Please forgive us for sidelining them, for becoming so consumed with ourselves and with this world that we lose sight of this great message that you have given to us. Lord, we pray that we might trust the gospel so that we might live by it. Lord, we pray for any here tonight who haven't yet come to trust Jesus that they might do that soon. And we pray for those of us that do, that we would not leave it behind or look for some other power or be tempted to doubt its goodness. But help us to know it, to love it, to believe it, to live it out and to share it with everyone around us for the glory and honour of the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.